0: We encourage successful experiments, but we punish failed experiments. Yep. With,
1: with death. With, uh... <laughs> well, mostly with garnished wages. Butterscotch shenanigans. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 280 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game Dev comedy podcast Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm caffeinated too much and too little at the same time. I'm Sam. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is October 9th, twenty-blundy. Before we get started, we have a warning. We're going to swear. We're just going to do it. It's going to happen. Brace yourself. We'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at Net. They just keep giving us money and we keep grabbing it. It's great. I like it. Let's do more of that. Yes. All right. So we're going to be – the things are going to be a little loosey-goosey on today's episode because uh, Sam's about to go on a spiritual journey Mm -hmm. into the spirit realm of Iowa. Yep. Uh, And because of that, we have had very little time since we've recorded the last episode, which means uh, not much has happened except for one big thing, which is our quarterly review. So we're just going to talk about – we're going to talk about some of the ideas and possibly ideals that came
2: out of that. Yeah, I do um, want to say, I think uh, quarterly reviews, and we talk about it, we talk about it, I think every quarter, we go over kind of what happened um, mm-hmm. on yeah. the podcast. But I think uh, they they do have this very comical, uh, I would say, kind of, they got a bad rap, I feel like, in general. I in, fucking love quarterly reviews. Yeah, in businesses, like, I feel like when someone's like, oh God, quarterly reviews today, Ugh, you know, it's going to be a thing. Um, but we managed to turn them into some pretty they're, they're always great. And then afterwards, we usually have too many ideas is sort of the problem. Uh, all of our priorities get shifted. Projects get upended. New things get thrown on the board. Everyone knows what they're doing. It's always very exciting. Oh, it's chaos. It's great. It's madness. I love it. I
1: don't know yeah. why people aren't into it. Well, I don't know either, but uh, I know one thing, mm. which is we decided to name this next quarter after our quarterly review. Because of because of what we learned. Because of all the cool shit we figured out. Uh, and this next quarter coming up is the big brain quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, in sort of like a high-level s- summary, it's we're going to try to prioritize thinking about stuff more before we do them. Yep. That's kind of the – that's the long and the short of it. And that includes organizing stuff. So like <clears throat>
0: if you're going to make a thing – you know what you need to do. Who else is involved? Who like what are you going to need from them now? Instead of waiting until the moment you need it downstream, once you've been working on the thing,
1: maybe. And then now you're now you're stuck. Now, you're stuck. now you got to go. Yeah, and go now interrupt you gotta, them. Yeah.
0: So now maybe don't do that, and instead line that all up ahead of time. Set up any scheduled meetings that you need if you need any at all, or set up some async requests. So just send some emails or make some Trello cards or whatever system you're using, and get that get all those get all of those things in play so that by the time you do get there, everything is already resolved and you don't have to interrupt somebody synchronously.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, before we talk about um, how this how this hits the life cycle of game development, because we we also had a kind of a hilarious realization about about this. Well, these two things As are well, closely related. They're very closely related, and I also want to talk about um, how this relates to just like just doing just doing stuff generally. Um, so since the since the pandemic started, I have slowly been morphing into us into Skeletor. Um, mm-hmm. I've been just kind of have not been I been lifting weights, no gym, you know, um, no no structure, no CrossFit classes, none of that stuff. I was doing some exercises early. Uh, but they were so boring. they just it's just body weight like I'm just gonna do like a trillion push-ups and nine thousand sit-ups and you know by the time you're done with it, you know, you've died of old age. And so, you've thrown
0: no tires. So
1: no tires have been thrown. Even the point. No heavy objects have been slammed and then grunted at. It doesn't have nearly uh, as good a tactile feel of it's just, just not satisfying. Yep. yep. Just doing four hundred air squats it's just not satisfying. Um uh, so I just totally Fell off that. And then, you know, I, I do that thing that probably a lot of our listeners do. Um, many people do is you, every now and then you go, I really need to get, I really need to get on top of this. I really need to just get back in shape. And then, you know, the next day, maybe if you remember by the next day, you'll do like two or three squats and you're like, I'm bored now. And then you just wander <laughs> off. And then that's the end of it for the next month. So, uh, so what I did uh, a few weeks back now is, I took, a, I took a couple of hours on Sunday, and I just sat down, turned off my devices, you know, got a notebook, and I was like, I'm just going to design myself a 10-week plan. We're like, down, down to the details, I'm going to plan out, like, I'm going to look at my calendar ahead of time. When am I going to work out? When, what am I going to do on each day? What are the kinds of things that I'm going to run into that might derail my plan? Right. If I have like pre if I have events that I know ahead of time, then I'll move the workout dates, you know, around them so that I already have decided which days are rest day, you know, just pre-decide everything. Right. Um and and also knowing what kinds of things I'm interested in doing, you know, like down to every single rep. What what am I doing in the next ten weeks? Um, so I did that and sure enough, now for the past few weeks, I've it's been incredibly easy to just go in there, work hard. I've been putting in 40 to 60 minutes uh, per session. Uh, I'm getting getting back into it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's all just because uh, all I did was just – instead of just constantly having to re-evaluate at every single second of the process what I need to do next and be constantly making decisions, I've already figured out most of the problems ahead of time. So this is like the mantra of the big brain quarter. Mm-hmm. okay so let's talk about how this comes back to game development yes so there's
2: a lot of uh, after you know we did a bunch of research into pre-production methods what is this idea of pre-production we've been talking about pre-production a lot on the podcast because it's the first time that we're doing it on purpose um and one of the things that's become increasingly clear is that pre-production is actually the time at which for the most part um if you have a team in place that can make a game, then pre-production is the time where the decisions that get made are the things that decide the fate of the game. Is it going to be successful or not? Uh, is it going to hit the market correctly or not? Are you going to be able to get a business deal uh, with it or not? Yeah. Uh, what's the game going to look like? What's the music going to be like? What's the mm-hmm. what's the business model of, of the game? And you is know, the is the mechanical set that you're – you know, putting forward unique enough or the whole sort of the whole vision of the thing unique enough that it's something that anybody would actually want to buy. And so it's one of those, it was one of those weird realizations we had in going through the the pre-production process that one, that we'd never done it before purposely, which ended up being one of those, one of those horrifying realizations. I feel like you look back when you're like, wow, it's kind of like doing this whole, I didn't work out for two years because I never took you know, an afternoon to really, really think about what it would mean to, uh, like, start digging in and and building a schedule for this thing. Um, So much is actually decided during the pre-production phase that we realize that it's really weird. It's actually really fucking weird that it doesn't have a name. It is, in fact, only referred to
1: by... pre-production.
2: Yeah, by its It's, relationship to doing the work, which, by the way, again, the doing of the work is something that is sort of like... It's required, but it's not going to be the thing that – production, yeah production. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the thing that decides the fate of of the game on a high level. And so it's so you know what remind me of this? It's almost like when uh, when humans thought that that Earth was the center of everything, and then slowly had yeah, to yeah. like fight their way out of that. It's it
1: like, totally is, yeah. You know? um, because the reality, is, obviously, the sun is the center of the universe. You mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. But,
2: and we, then, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it just keeps going up. <laughs> and so I think there's this. No, it's not. Yeah, there's this really interesting yeah. uh, thing that happens, which we, which we're talking about during during our quarterly. Which is that a lot of basically, if if you can measure something, then that's the sort of thing that tends to get planned around and tends to become uh, you know a thing of very high importance because people can see it, they can understand it, they can put it on schedules, they can do X, Y, or Z. Uh, pre-production is not the sort of thing that you can. Can't do measure get it. it with. can't measure it, you can't schedule it, figuring out the you know, changes and in the, in the little prototyping switches during the pre-production process before you kind of know what the game is, uh, is a very chaotic process. And so it suddenly became clear to us during this discussion that like, oh, the reason it's called pre-production instead of production is because production is the thing that people can manage. And so therefore everyone wants to get to production, by everyone I mean project managers and business people, as quickly and, as uh, possible. <laughs> that's when you feel like you
0: have something to show, right? But that's also when all of your people feel like they're doing work, like actually, because it's called producing, right? Like you're producing stuff.
2: Yeah. And one of the, one of the hardest uh, sort of tension points during pre-production is fighting that feeling of like, am I doing things right now? Like if I take, you know, same thing with, uh, with uh, scheduling or figuring out the schedule for doing a workout, you're not doing the workout during that
1: phase. At the um, end of the at the end of that planning phase, you have nothing to show. Yes, you have nothing to deliver, and no. and pre production, uh, which we'll talk about a different word
2: for it shortly. But uh, pre production can often feel like that, where you might spend, in my case, you know, I spent basically six weeks uh, pounding out a bunch of design details for Crashlands Two before we even touched a touched a bit of code about it, um, or even art assets. Or even art assets. I was doing just hideous paint drawings, essentially, to kind of vaguely get an idea across of of what the whole thing was supposed to look like. And so uh, it's one of those weird things where at the end of it, you still don't have anything. Like, you don't –
1: got nothing. There's no game. Nobody can play
2: the game. (laughs) And and there's still some untested ideas in there, right? Which is all about what pre-production is. And so uh, it can be very challenging to stay on course and to not accidentally, essentially, just – Start trying to do stuff and just start building, you know, and then this is sort of where we, where we have, I think, classically existed. And this is, I'm sure some of our listeners going to be amused as they have been amused in the past by us switching to DevOps and being like, oh my God, if you focus on your processes and planning, then you get more stuff done. Uh, it should be surprising, <laughs> but um, none of this is particularly surprising, I think, but it's, it's definitely sort of been the, the, the core thing that our studio has been trying to grow into is to think more, uh, before we start just slamming our faces into stuff
1: at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Because what you don't want is you don't want to uh, start building a project uh, unplanned, get a whole year into it, realize there's no market for this, then, yeah. right? Uh, because the game is solid at that point. It, it cannot be easily sort of morphed into a whole other kind of thing, mm-hmm. right?
0: Well, it's also not and, just a matter of changing it into an entirely new thing. It's that if you've not answered, if you're not even identified the questions you have, and then even the ones you have identified, if you've not answered them, and your your plan is to answer them or a, or discover them during the production process, which, as Seth, as you're saying, is the time when you are you're turning the thing into stone over time, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So if during that process is where you discover how you want the thing to be, then now the cost of every new discovery is extremely high because it happens in the context of a thing that is turning into stone, right? And so being able to then work backwards and and make changes that propagate through the entire system to allow for that change or to allow for that newly answered question, right, uh, is just extremely costly. And if we look at like Levelhead's development, its whole development was that, the whole thing from... Beginning to end was was the the original question that we answered was or, or asked was then an answered in the prototype in like the first two weeks, and then after that yep. we asked and answered questions just as part of production. It was just the same mm-hmm. they were completely intermixed in terms of that process, and it worked out yep. okay because that game from a from a like what it was perspective was straightforward enough that that could work in that context, like it was still costly, but it could work there. But if it was a systems-heavy game where we were adding in like, ooh, now we want an inventory, or ooh, now we want this, or whatever, right? And we did all that in the same way, it would have been very
2: hard and very well, and, and it was very hard at a couple of different points. So importantly, uh, you know, our levelhead players will know that the undo function, the ability to to undo what you just yep. did in the levelhead editor, took until like just a couple months before launch for us to get in. And there's a big reason for that, which is that uh, by the time Undo came around, or because by the time we decided to do it, uh, which again, we could have and probably should have decided when we were building the damn editor in the first place, uh, but because we, we, we put it off, there were so many items in the game. We essentially put the cart before the horse, right? There were so many things on top of this. And then it was designed around the, uh, yeah,
0: there were, there were now yeah. a ton of systems that... That all didn't know about the concept of an undo being a thing, and we're all different, and weren't built with undo in mind. So now, un- so even if we didn't start with undo, but knew we were going to do it, so that everything was mm-hmm. built with a plan, where we're like, okay, once we add undo, here's how it's going to work for this new system. And in fact, here's our checklist of when we add a new system, here are the things we have to remember it needs to be undoable at some point. It needs to be maybe redo. We never did redo, but, right? but, but if that was a thing, then we would have had that on the list, right? So that you now wouldn't be able to build a new system without first sitting down and asking, what is the full parameter set? What is the full set of requirements to actually make this thing work? Instead of just, how do I get the, the one idea, which in this case was this one item? How do I get this item or this new kind of item into the game as fast as possible? Because mm-hmm. if you do, if that's the goal... Then you do that in a non-systems way, in a way that doesn't take into account the future. It takes into account only the minimum amount of present, right, to be able to
2: make the to thing do that
0: prison. one thing. Which not- again,
2: from a jam yes. mindset, which is where the studio sort of arose, is literally exactly what you need to do. Because there's literally there's nothing happening after the jam. There's there's yep. two days, and you just got to cram stuff in there. And you don't you shouldn't be caring during a jam. Um, and that can be a good way to you know discover a new system, discover a new project, or else. But it is uh, over the like if you if you jam for your production process, which is sort of what we've done classically, uh, then you're going to start running into these situations that become these almost intractable nightmares. I mean, the the undo thing was a three was it three weeks?
1: It was a it was a lot, yeah. It was three weeks, and, it, and there's still there's still bugs in it because at the time that we added the undo to the game, the editor was like fifteen thousand lines of code, and because so many of those lines of code were approached in that way of like, ooh, here's this little feature we want. Let's just let's just tack it onto this system. Oh, this other feature, let's just tack it onto that. Um and there was there was never this like at the very beginning, there was never this intent to make that that editor extremely flexible from a code perspective, mm-hmm. so that it was really, really easy to just add new tools, add new systems, whatever. Um and because of the production mindset, because the idea was always we need to get this next thing out, period, mm-hmm. so what's the minimum number of things we can do to get this next thing out and like our 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 players often said, especially during the early access we d- we deploy these patches week by week, and each patch just had tons of stuff in it, yeah, just tons of stuff um, which is totally doable earlier in the life cycle of a game but the faster you are cramming stuff in in a non-systems oriented way the harder it is to add the next thing right Mm -hmm. and eventually eventually you reach a point where you have to refactor the whole fucking thing you gotta redo the whole the whole thing Mm -hmm. um and so so we're trying to approach approach uh, Crashlands 2 in in a very different way where it's like okay this first even like six months of development um it's actually okay. It's okay if after six months we don't have a lot of content in the game because that's not the point at this stage. This is, this is the, the first stage of this dev cycle, which we're just calling – it's not pre-production. It's R&D. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not defined in relation to production. It's we are coming up with the best ways to build this game and, and what the sure game is. Right? And we're figuring out what yeah. the game is. Yeah. Yeah. So so if we aren't if we aren't uh, actively answering questions about what the game is and how to build it, then we're doing the wrong thing because that's that's the phase that we're in. Um so so we we've kind of like rethought this idea of instead of pre production and production and launch, we're thinking about the game dev cycle as as four phases, which is the R and D phase, which, like we said, is Answering questions about what the game is and how you're going to build it, and developing the tools to build it, and so it's basically
0: getting everything ready.
1: So you are, you are building stuff. Yeah, you're, you're making stuff. But, you're yeah, you're yeah. But you're not building it to deliver it. You're building it to answer questions. Yeah, which is a very different mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that even means like st- stuff that we've done already with uh, Crashlands Two is is spent several days just working out the lighting system how do how did it work in the original crashlands? How do we make it better? Um, what are the problems that it had, and just spending that time up front working on shaders, trying to figure out post processing effects to make the world look more beautiful you know and we 're still working on that yeah stuff. And try and, and, the, and the key there is trying
0: out different ones and but but we 're not saving this until oh yeah we' now we 're now halfway through development we 've got like all the items in that we that we want right we got like the the stories in there we got our npcs we have com- Like we have everything now let's forget that's, that's, just content. that's
1: just content
0: yeah. yep so the yep. idea is up front before we have infinite content right it's you ta- you tackle each system and ask how does this system work with the goal being that by the time we start really trying to push on content and actually like making the game that we now know every single system we've experimented with ways that it might work we've implemented uh Uh, we've implemented basically partial versions of each one of those to get at those original questions and to have something that we can start to use. We've built tools around each one of those systems so that Mm. we can add content rapidly or we can test things or whatever is that we need to do with that particular thing. So that by the time we get done with this phase,
1: we are ready to produce. Yep. So, so that's the first phase R and D phase two is the grind. Which people would this would typically be referred to as the production phase, right? This is this is when you're like, I know basically what needs to happen. Yep. We we have the tools, most of the tools that we need. I need this game forty enemies, six hundred environment tiles, and one thousand items. Yeah. Okay. We, and we all and we need a world that that uh, players could spend three hundred hours exploring before they run out of stuff to find. We need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we need two thousand quests. We need NPCs. And we, importantly, we, we don't need, know
0: the details yet. But we know we know how NPCs work. We know how quests work. We know what it means and, to and, add those yeah. into the game. What it means you know to know what to the story
1: level. is on a high level.
0: Yeah, know, we know the what the story is. We haven't it. written it, so we don't know what any given line of the story is, right? Yeah. We know. So this
1: is the grind. This is like we know how. We know how. We don't necessarily know what yet. But mm-hmm. we know how. And now we just. Now it's, we put in the work. This is the production And there work. may be still um, some some slightly – because
0: this doesn't mean that every question is now like answered and in stone, right? This means that to the best of our ability now knowing the whole thing and, and having a plan for the whole thing, we have identified every question that we possibly could up front. And we have an answer for each one of those questions up front. But not just an answer. We actually have a realm of, of answers and like what that kind of looks like. So that – like lighting is a good example, we think we know what lighting is going to look like, right, and how it's going to work because we've experimented now with a whole bunch of stuff. We still have some ideas, some experiments to run, but it's quite possible by the time we get into the middle of the content phase now have a whole bunch of different zones and a whole bunch of different items. And, and, and who knows, seasonal effects, like we don't, we don't know what's going to go into this thing, right? But there's a whole bunch of now things that could be in here. And so in that context, it may turn out that actually a few of our plans were wrong, right? A few of our answers were not quite right because we didn't have the full scope of the problem. But at that point it's fine because we already know what the shape of the answer looks like. And we've already done the exploratory work to know how do we even explore possible answers to this question. So that at this point it's just a matter of like fine tuning the details and that's it.
1: Yeah. Uh, So that's all the grind. We just, just putting in that work, fine tuning stuff, making the content. Um, then the next phase, phase three, is pre-launch. So this is we're at a, we're at a point now where we need to essentially get everything cinched up and finalized, and start ramping up the marketing engine, right? And like all throughout the grind, and we should and have deployment been,
0: engine because deployment is a non-trivial
1: task. Well, yeah. that's actually that's that's what I was gonna say is actually through the grind, we should have been actively deploying yep. to all target platforms and testing on all platforms the entire time. So if if you've done your DevOps, then then there shouldn't be any new challenges in the pre-launch phase when it comes to getting the game playable right. on an Xbox yeah, or pre-launch. Or should be focused whatever. again
0: on the details, like making sure every aspect of your store pages is correct, making sure you've lined up every part of your marketing process and it's ready to go. But yep. that should again it should be fine-tuning because all of those things should have already been built and and maintained throughout the grind.
1: Yeah. Uh, so then then there's this one thing that happens, which is the launch, which is like a single day it's not really a stage of development. It's just like an event, right? Um, and and on launch day, generally, you're not doing anything because all the work to make the launch happen, you already did all of that for the preceding four months or yeah, This is now if there are the- some
0: manual buttons you have to click, like for things you can't schedule, because you should have scheduled everything that's, that's possibly schedulable, right? Yeah. Or anything that you couldn't, like this is where you hit those buttons. But that's all the that launch is. It's just those few manual things that had to be done you separate unlaunched from launched.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and then the final phase is post-launch. And the post-launch phase is uh, people often think about the launch as like, oh, it's done now. Like the game's out now and we've we finished the project. It's in players' hands. Um, post-launch is actually it's, – it's kind of like a, a chaotic mix of things because you don't know what's – next right mm-hmm. post launch is now you you need to evaluate how did the game perform what were our expectations uh what were our like best and worst case scenarios and kind of where did we land on that do we keep developing the game uh do we do, you know deploy some patches do we make a dlc uh do we do we, we, do to we aggressively go
0: after business deals
1: yeah do we need to scale up do we need to scale down did it go that badly um So there's a whole bunch of things that need to happen, but that is a totally distinct phase of development where you have to make a lot of decisions and do a lot of things in that post-launch phase that you don't really need to do or think about in pretty much any other phase of the development. Although I will say –
0: Pre-launch, yeah, you should do some – pre planning about what your post-launch scenarios could Correct. be and what you think you're going to do for this.
2: And yeah, yeah. Not, not just the scenarios, because I increasingly, because of the the live opsy nature of literally every game now, uh, increasingly not having a plan for what, you're, what sort of content you're going to deliver and how you're going to deliver it post-launch is a really bad idea. Uh, because again, it comes back to how you're thinking about your systems and how you're thinking about the, even the, the way you're, you're putting what content into your game currently. Uh, so this is a big problem we had with the original Crashlands, which is that uh, it's not—it wasn't built in a modular enough way for us to be able to add, like, oh yeah, let's add a side, like a side zone over yeah, here. Adding and content could, is very hard in Crashlands. Because, yeah, Crashlands is just a vertical stack of quests, and so being like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we're going to put this content uh, here, there, wherever else. Uh, if we put anything anywhere besides the savannah, the sort of first zone of the game, the likelihood of players of any new players seeing that content uh, was low because we knew that like you know, about half of people, by the time they get to the bog, that's like sort of like where they cap out for 10, 10-ish hours of play.
0: But also old players won't see it because they're already past that content.
2: Yeah. They're going to be way too high level. So then it's like, okay, so the game wasn't built to be able to handle literally any additional content uh, that was actually, a adi- quote, unquote, additional content and not stuff that would r- sort of be defunct if you were a late game player or... But you Completely see this
0: accessible. in any any kind of game where there's a there's a linear progression, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's the same deal. If it, you you want to add content to the end for your old players, and add content to the beginning to make the new player experience more viable and interesting, uh, and both of those things then miss the other segment of of your player population. So you can't just make content that everybody gets to now go experience. Um, and versus a game that's a little more sort of Horizontal in the sense of like what the gameplay experience is like, where you know a- adding a new weapon to Fortnite, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a horizontal thing. Like any, anybody can go use it at any moment; they get to experience that content, no matter how good or bad they are, no matter how long they play the game. Uh, new content actually like dramatically improves the game for everybody the moment it goes in. But for something like Crash, and, and, and for Crashlands too, it's the kind of stuff you can add, and the impact is also light. So, sorry for. Crashlands mm-hmm. also not Crashlands the number two, uh, yeah. Because if you want to add if you want to add something like really cool, uh, like a new zone with you know new content, then now all of a sudden the, the effort required to do that is fucking enormous, right? Because mm-hmm. now you have to like you have to come up with the with all the tile sets that make up the space. You have to now come up with a new set of resources. You have to come up with a new set of progression of items. Like the whole thing is very very hard to add. It's, it's both very hard to insert into and very hard just to add mm-hmm. entirely new sets of content.
1: Yeah. So you know we're we're trying to think about these things in this stage of how do we avoid those problems downstream you know uh, in Crashlands too how do we make it super easy to add stuff and and keep those options open for ourselves if if the opportunity arises right um, so yeah it's it's been it's been an interesting it was a, it was a great quarterly review I feel like. Yeah, that kind of realization that like people are so focused on production that we don't even have a name for the thing, the most important thing, which is the thing that comes before production. <laughs> yep. You know, pre-production, the the thing before production. Um, so uh yeah, so this is our big brain quarter. We're very excited. Uh, we're still deep in that R and D phase of Crashlands Two. Uh, but it's going super good. So, yeah, but I think I think the kind yeah, of the uh,
0: important part of this is is. That framing is, is super important to how people perceive their work, how people structure their companies and their business, and how they orient towards problem-solving, right? Because if, if you use words like pre-production versus production, it implies that the center of everything is the production part, right? And it yep. also implies you should be minimizing how much time goes into anything else because yep. production also means to produce. We, that's where all the value is supposed to be. Well, you um, think with
2: pre... You know, before it, you're going to want to finish that as soon as possible. because yeah, it's not just, the thing. It's exactly, supposed to get nothing. through yeah. that. Yeah, uh-huh. and so it's just
1: a big nothing, it's mm-hmm. a big nothing burger. Yeah,
0: it's just one of those things <laughs> where, where words matter because framing matters, right? And, and it impacts how you see a thing. And so, so this is one of our our goals here is to is to reframe how we see all parts of the development process by just rewording, like renaming the parts of it to to properly emphasize what they are. Because also the fact that changing production to the grind, right? moves it from like this is where all the all the great stuff is happening right this is where all like all the value comes to being like oh this is the, this is the shit we have to get through not
1: <laughs> this is just like a lot of work it's just a yeah, lot, lot of it work it's just the stuff <laughs> we have to get through to
2: get to the point where we can actually now get ready to launch this thing right which means um, the framing around building tools becomes even more important because you're like oh man yeah we need to make sure in the r&d phase we build enough tools that the right. ground is easy
1: yep the ground well, i got a I gotta, I gotta ask though, because of course we, we did deliberately go and name. We had like pre-launch and post-launch. Like those aren't things either. We just framed them around the launch, which is nothing, right? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like that's true. It's, it's so easy to fall into these traps because really pre-launch is, is your heavy marketing phase. Yep. Is what it is. You know, you're not you're not pre-launching the game because pre-launching something is nothing, right? Mm-hmm. You are heavily marketing the game, uh, and post-launch, what is that? That's your what is that? What I are you know. doing? You know, because post you don't post-launch stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not a, that's not an activity that's that true. you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's- look at that. Look at that. We already we already fucked it up. Yeah, we we'll have to. See, right, have to wait, let, let, me, let me let me retype this. Uh, heavy marketing. Okay. Uh, we'll f- we'll have to we'll <laughs> we have to come catch, back next we week. Punchier names for these, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I-, I like how here we are. We're like, yeah, you know, framing's super important. You can't call somebody pre-production. We're like, anyway, here's the new the new four phases of development, and then we just fell right. Well, into no, the I, trap think, I think I think the benefit
2: uh, or the, the difference though between pre-launch and post-launch is that they're both oriented around a single day, which does actually make them very different from a pre pre-production versus production sort of thing. Because production is something that can last literally years,
1: right? So Yeah, yeah the, the- but, but it's also the case that they, they aren't descriptive about what actually occurs 100%. in that phase yeah. Um, yeah. by by being purely oriented around some other completely different thing. All to say, uh, we're still figuring it out. It's pretty wild. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Uh, All right, well, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Highest up question comes from Chalosis, who says, What are the Game Maker project files called? For all of your past games, in other words, is Crashlands still called Roomba Prototype.yyp. Mm-hmm. Uh So this is probably coming from the fact that, you know, as, we, as we were talking about, Levelhead never had pre-production. It just went into production on day one. We didn't know what the name of the game was until seven weeks in. So the, the Game Maker project was called Platformer Builder. Yeah, and we could have,
0: of course. We were only seven weeks in. We could have renamed the project to Levelhead. Yeah, but we didn't. We didn't because we, we didn't have. see that as an important <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: like thing. To, yeah, I'm not exactly well, sure what, like, why that particular ball got dropped because by the time we have- actually paid any attention at all – and we're like, oh shit, it was, we already had this out to players and we couldn't change it because then it would remove people's access to their save file. Yeah,
1: and this, <laughs> yeah, this, only, this only matters for people who are digging through their Windows directory trying to find where the game's files are located. Yep. Which you generally should not be doing because you mm-hmm. can easily break stuff if you just start deleting or moving but, files around.
0: <laughs> I mean, that uh, said – Uh, Because this is – again, this is now treating like uh, the the end user as as a completely different – actually what this is, is it's treating our internal users, ourselves and QA, as people who have to know extra knowledge to be able to do things that Mm -hmm. we – our players would also have to know. We just say they don't need to, so who cares, right? Because what there's also meant is that for the entire – the entirety of level his development, all of us on the team had to remember – that the platformer builder was called platformer, platformer. builder, and I know it for myself because I actually I, dip, I had to dip into that a lot more rarely, but I still had to periodically. And then every time I did it, I would go look for Levelhead, and I would find it. I'd be like, Oh yeah, right? It's called mm-hmm. platformer right. builder.
1: Platformer right. builder. Yeah. And so actually, Talfight, uh, Talfight Two is called GTFO. GTFO. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Because because originally it was like it was actually the original concept of Talfight, like story wise, was actually pretty similar to the original or uh, the Crashland story. Which was you were going to have crashed in this weird land in a rocket, and you had to go get find the, out. the pieces of your rocket and then get fuck oh, out of there. yeah. Um, but uh, that, 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 we that kind built, of didn't we build that? We built parts of it.
2: No, but, what was the uh, what was the Because we built a uh, we built a game that had that mechanic in it. Do you remember the spider? Oh, thing? the
1: spider spider exploding heads game. Yeah, that, yeah was was, called, uh, that game was called, oh, shucks, I crashed my spaceship, and now I have to explode heads until I can find all the parts so I can rebuild my spaceship and That's escape. the one. I'm impressed um, you remembered that title because that was a long I, – I, I think I might have fudged some of it. But that was that, in our yeah. more
2: verbose days. But yeah, we took that, that – because it was super fun. But I mean the mechanic was fun, but the, uh, the overall point was very fun, which is that there were like four rocket pieces scattered around this little tiny planet, and then you had to go get them and bring them back to your, to your ship. So for Tile Fight 2, we were like, we'll just do that. And then of course we didn't because that was literally as far as we planned before we just started building shit. It ended up being a game about, you know, shooting yeah, animals. But this is, face. this is
0: one of those classic problems though of, because even, because this isn't just about like pre-production versus, you know, versus production or R&D versus the grind, right? Uh, so part of it is we didn't separate those two concepts in a meaningful way for all these past games. And so that, so that, that meant that we, there wasn't a phase where we were like, okay, now we know what the name is. There's a process now. When we know what the name is, we go rename things, right? We get everything ready to go. There isn't a thing like that because discovering the name for our titles was just a thing that happened during development, right? It wasn't like a yeah. – it didn't have any triggers that, that came off of it. But, but this is actually a really central problem anytime people are using – a thing while it's in development so so we have this we deal with, deal with this with our internal tools as well right so so we variably really, as seth can attest we've got we've got this handful of internal tools that are named things like gms2 tools uh the game developer toolkit the uh the what is it, pipeline, anyway, a long,
2: pipeline development kit pipeline there's development toolkit a lot right? of, the a whole bunch of things
0: around. that that as we're developing them we need to call them something so we can make a project and we can start working on it we can we can make command line commands that have a name that you can type into the to the console. right? We, we, like you, All those things have to exist in the same way that as you're working on the game and prototyping it, you may not know yet what the name of this thing is because uh, you might be doing trademark searches. You might be doing God knows, like for Crashlands 2, very easy. It's the second Crashlands game. It's called Crashlands 2. Yeah. Like we, didn't, we didn't have to work on that one, right? But for Levelhead, we didn't know what the fuck that was going to be called. We knew what we wanted to make well before we had any idea what the Sort of the IP was and like what the what the mm-hmm. marketing kind of approach was, so so we we've just been dealing with this in house just with our tools. Where where I had Sam was that last week mm-hmm. uh, sit down to come up with name options for these internal tools that I've been developing for Seth and Sure to use, and. But so then he did that, which was great. But then I had to go rename everything, right? So I had to like I had to go through our code and like find every reference to all these names, and I could change all of it, and, like, and then like republish them to different places and, and do right. all this stuff, and then let Seth and Sher sure know, like, okay, here's the new versions of these things. I had to go label the other ones as deprecated, so they would get warnings next time they try to use. There's like all this, like renaming things is a big fucking pain in the ass. But right? the funny it's thing so is, hard.
2: with that tool in particular, you actually knew exactly what those were supposed to be doing before you started building, them, right? Yeah. So actually we, we could have named them. We could have named them, you know.
1: Well, and this is actually something that <laughs> it's it's not just us. Uh and it's not even oh, yeah. small companies. This happens to every everybody. And actually the larger a company is, the, hard the harder it is to, it is change, to change the names of yep. things. Yep. I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to explain specific details because of NDAs, but I will say that that just about every time we have worked with a large company, we're talking billion dollar companies with tens of thousands of employees in some cases, um, anytime we're working with some kind of back-end system they have, whether it's mm-hmm. a new like way to deliver games or some uh, SDK to, that we have to integrate or whatever it is, it is always, always named some incoherent string of letters. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because it started as some kind of concept they were coming up with, you know, maybe they'll be like, oh, new way of playing games, they'll call it. And it's right. like, okay, it's like NWPG. All right, we'll just register NWPG.net and we'll start using that <laughs> to set up all the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon, uh, every, now you've got to sign up at this weird website that you have no idea what it is. Uh, I, I don't think that's a real site, but, you know. Uh, uh, probably, just, uh, it probably conce-
0: is. Don't go there because if you're yeah. play, if you're playing website, you're like, <laughs> there's
1: there's no upside. Yeah, but conceptually, this is what we run into all the time, um, and it becomes really, really hard as a developer to figure out what you're su- supposed to actually be doing because none of the words you're seeing mean the things that they actually are. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some usually they're not even real words. Uh, so yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it, and this kind of comes back to the big brain problem, right? The big brain problem of think about stuff as early as you can and make mm. those those big hard changes before they become. Well, no, and a lot so, of it is
0: identifying because, because as you said, like I should have known when I went set out to build those tools that like these these are these need to have. Names Computer that a person names. can hold on to, right? They, yeah. need, to have, yeah. they need to have names that, that are not necessarily describing what it does even because that's actually, because that's what the names are currently. That's what the new way of delivering games, right? That, that's what, uh, that, there's a tendency, yep. especially as an engineer, right, is, to, is you start building the thing and you're like, okay, I know what this has to do. So like you start naming it accordingly so that you, when you're looking at it, you're like, oh yeah, this is the thing that does this because it says that right there, right? Uh, and and it feels like it's easier to use that as like the name of the thing, Right. And that's true if you are the person building it, and that is your full time job. That is absolutely true. The moment you need somebody else to use it, if they're not using it literally twenty four seven, then it needs to have an identity that a person you can a latch on to. Right? Yeah. You, need a, you need a brand so that people can can latch onto the idea. And uh, and if you the cost of not doing that ahead of time is high, because even so, yesterday I actually spent just on this topic, I spent like an hour and a half going through because Seth was ready to get started using the newer version of one of my tool sets for that works on GameMaker 2.3. And I was like, Oh shit, I'm not ready for this because I haven't gone back and actually finished all of the renaming stuff after, after we, after Sam did his pass on like mm. giving it a name. Right. And so I had to go through, I had to, I had to change the names of like 30 files. I had to do <laughs> find and replace, but both, you know, cap, cap sensitive, uh, to go through and like find all of the places uh, where the original thing was referenced and figure out what the con- like is it a code now, so I have to like make sure that I'm mm. being very careful when I change it, or is it just like in the documentation? In which case, I still need to be careful because like in the context of the documentation, uh, the prior way of doing it needed the in front of it, and now it doesn't, right? And so like it just right. like this, this <laughs> bullshit. where now like the mental overhead and like the the just the cost of going through and, and fixing a thing after the fact is. Is just stupidly high, and so either you want to already handle that up front, or if you can't, because like you need to get started on development, and you sometimes you, you got to figure out what it is while you're. You got to figure out what it secure. is, then mm-hmm. then if you then know that, and still know what it is you're going to need to do in the future, like rename everything, right, and have a fucking plan, yep. <laughs> so that yep. so that now you can say, okay, well, I've actually I've already got a script that I made that will convert. This blank name that I made, right, that I, I, like, I made a unique thing that definitely is not going to, because also if you call it something like game prototype or or prototype or some really generic thing, Mm -hmm. then now, now it's not even a simple matter of just find and replace. Now it's a matter of, oh, shit, where did I use this that it doesn't mean the same thing? (laughs) So it's like, come up with a unique thing, use that everywhere, and already have your script written and tested that just renames everything.
1: Yeah. You know, just Dude, I'll, I'll say, yeah, renaming shit is like the perennial problem just across the board oh, yeah. for any kind of long term work. So man, if you could figure that out, if you could figure out the names of things in advance. A lot.
0: If you can't, just like, not, just like put in your brain pan, like oh no, this is going to be a problem, right? Just and try to plan that, around it at least as you yeah at as minimum, you move forward. At minimum, use very unique names so that you can then find all of the the right references mm-hmm. to the thing,
1: or create a, an incoherent string of random characters because uh, that's what it's going to end up being anyways, and just yeah. make those really easy to replace. Uh, all right, next question comes from Grin Trim Gap Gap That's a good Who one. Grim Trim says. <laughs> Who says uh, hi there? I have a few questions about GR18's design. Is the display on his face CRT, hologram, LCD, or LED? Mm. We're all so we'll kind of hit these w- real quick one at, at a time because mm-hmm. there's like three, three or four questions in here. All right, so display, uh, is a LJD. It's a liquid juice display. Yeah, um, it does not use pixels at all. It just it just shapes the juice. Yeah, it actually – there's, there's
0: constant streams of juice shooting onto it and there's tiny wiper blades where the other pixels – like the pixels are either where juice goes, right? It's like it's a little juice squirter plus a wiper blade because otherwise yeah. the juice runs down the screen. So anything that yeah. is actively squirting juice has a tiny wiper blade that's actively removing
1: juice. Well, yeah. It's, it's a combination of wiper blade plus vacuum. So I had this guy come and clean my yeah, carpet yeah. once. And he mm-hmm. had this giant thing. It was like a big circle and it was hooked up to the, the plumbing, right? It's almost like a pressure washer, okay? Like it's mixing soap and blasting water and it's also a vacuum at the same time. So it's blasting the, the carpet, shampooing it, and sucking up all of the liquid simultaneously. Amazing. Right? So that's what a liquid juice display it's like uh, – yeah. one thing though is like the, the reason why the game is zoomed out so far because it's fucking loud. Like it makes so <laughs> much noise to yeah, make you that zoom, kind of a If you display. zoom in on
0: it, you can really hear it.
1: If you zoom in on GR-18's face, like it's just deafening because you're just right there next to the the blasting of the juice. <laughs> so uh, next question in this series, were all models of GR-18 powered by burritos or only the newer versions? And what flavor are they? They're so not powered not, by burritos. They just yeah, carry burritos. It's kind of like those, those, uh, was like there's dogs that are trained to deliver emergency supplies to people in the mountains. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's like that. You just, you know, if you, especially when you're in space, like burritos last a long time. They keep very well in space. Well, it's also you know? in a
0: cryo chamber, so specifically. Yeah. So they keep basically indefinitely inside of a GRAT.
1: Yeah. So, uh, there's a lot of times where an emergency situation comes along and, uh, Somebody's gonna need a burrito. Yeah, I mean, let's be real. Earthquake. Somebody's somebody's gonna need a burrito. Frankly, twenty twenty,
2: we could all use a burrito.
1: Everybody you know? needs right a burrito. I want right a burrito right now. now. You know? mm-hmm. um, yeah, and, and it's 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 incredibly rare to come across some kind of large scale emergency or tragedy where somebody doesn't need a burrito in that mm-hmm. situation. Um, so it's just always useful. Uh, if I was to attempt to open up my GR18 and tinker around, would it void my warranty? I'm totally not trying to reverse engineer it. Also, good joke thinking that we'd have a warranty on GR18. <laughs> yeah, there's no warranty on gr There's GR18. no
0: warranty. No.
2: No. no. Also, you're an employee. But, you uh, don't get warranties. That's not how that works. You know? Yeah. You break so, it, you yeah. buy it. I'm pretty sure that's a policy. You break it, you buy it. It's, uh, it's coming out of your paycheck that doesn't exist because you're an unpaid intern. Yeah,
1: because it comes out of your future possible
0: paycheck. But (coughs) it comes out of your paycheck if you go work for another company and actually do make money. uh, We put a lien on that or whatever (laughs) you call it. Or we garnish your wages.
1: The Bureau doesn't sell GR18s, they provide them to the employees Mm -hmm. uh, just for the purpose of of training and delivery. Um, So you don't, don't, I mean, you're not going to get any money back no matter what. Uh, There's no warranties, nothing. Mm -hmm, You're screwed.
0: So you you can feel free to try to tinker. Um, because we, we encourage successful experiments, but we punish failed experiments. Yep. With with death, with uh, <laughs> mostly with
1: garnished wages. Yes. And light death.
0: Yeah. I uh, mean, back. you're likely to die as, an, as a Bureau of Shipping intern in the first place, right? So we we don't we, we don't, don't need to go out of our way for that. Yeah, we don't make any special <laughs> to keep you from dying uh, in the case that you you know you damage equipment. Um,
1: yeah. 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 All right. Next question comes from Biki Bappa Boop who says, Sam, Mm. do you ever run into spaghetti art in the same way that the other bros run into spaghetti code? Do you have any tips on keeping a piece of art clean, usable, and editable?
2: In vector, in
1: particular? This question is specifically about vector, but in general.
2: Yeah, so uh, definitely. There's a bunch of of things on the vector side to keep track of. So one is that uh, vector, unlike raster so photoshop versus something like inkscape um in the case of a, a vector program you often don't need to bother too much with layer management in fact you can put everything just on you just sort of work on a canvas and that's that because each of these things each line that you draw each shape they put down is its own object that you can pick up and move around so essentially they all operate like they're on their own layers anyways in a traditional program and so yeah. all that management of like moving stuff around uh very easy so the one thing that that um this sort of spaghetti art uh, comes back to haunt you uh, is basically in, in two different ways. So one is uh, if, if you don't track how it is you made something. So we just talked about this idea of R and D versus uh, the grind. So if you don't track while you're in the R and D phase, how it is that you got to whatever this end looking thing is in a vector program in particular, because you cannot see the layers, right? You can't, you can't name individual pieces. You can't be like, yeah, I used this here. i tried this method here. Uh, which means that you will have to reverse engineer the process of any finished asset unless uh, one of the things I used to do is basically f- almost in phases, so I would as I was building a, a particular thing oftentimes for the first time, um, I would basically once I completed the line work, then I would literally duplicate it, swing a new basically that new dupe out to the right, and then work on that to bring that next phase in I'm like here's the color work here's whatever else so that if I needed to come back to this project later that I could actually see the individual phases of how I put this thing together. Uh, Now, when you're working in uh, Photoshop or in any, uh, like I work in Clip Studio Paint now, any layer-based thing, of course, it's all the information is actually preserved for you. Just you never flatten the image. So you end up just seeing each layer individually, which is super handy when you're coming back to. The one big thing I would say is that um, if you start using fancy brushes, any custom brushes whatsoever, On a particular layer. So say you're working on some rocks and you use some fancy brush you found on the internet that like has a cool rock texture. If you can't remember, if you have a bunch of brushes, a lot of people just end up with a shitload of brushes. And you didn't name the damn layer about what that brush is. Because I think the layers, it's a name, but like who cares? You put whatever the fuck you want there. So put the brush name for your own sanity into that layer name so that later when you come back you can be like okay yeah i'll just click that and get, get the thing going.
1: is it possible to like add notes or comments to layers
2: no absolutely that's wild yeah
1: that's uh, I mean. <laughs> it, well, it, it
0: sounds that sounds wild they have only been working on these products for what 30
2: years like well no, it sounds wild, but when you look at uh, a lot of finished artworks that are like really high quality a lot of illustrations stuff uh you're looking at literally hundreds of layers which is more of a reason to have comments um, in them.
0: And yeah, tags.
2: But, <laughs> yeah. but typically, yeah, typically I think the, the thing I've been finding most annoying is basically in in jumping from vector to layer work uh, is in – once you start getting a project that has a lot of stuff going on, is in like you, – you'll click on something, but you need to do something to the layer itself, which is in a slightly different submenu. And so you got you to gotta get it to show up over there when there's the stack of 400 layers to dig through to find – uh, the yeah. one thing. So some programs have hotkeys for for doing that jumping. Um, and then beyond that, it's basically like you will suffer the consequences of not cleaning up your your sort of earlier passes on something later.
1: It's
2: you got to refactor a little bit. So before you hit into like the next phase, so say you just finish your line work or whatever else, clean up your nodes. Like just remove some of the nodes. Like just you know make stuff look good. Um, if you're going to be animating the thing, know how you're going to be animating it ahead of time, because oftentimes in the case of clip, in the case of case of literally any of these pieces, you'll actually want to bust those objects off onto their own kind of groups or own layers. Um, so if I have an arm and I'm going to be like doing a bunch of shit with this arm, don't bake it, do not bake it into the whole image. Cause then you have to redraw the whole thing as opposed to just redrawing that arm later on. That sort yeah. of thing. So there's a lot of those horrifying process problems. I, I
1: think a lot of these lessons really, they're they're they make sense when you just convey. You're like, yeah, you know, like as you're developing the thing, take snapshots and vector, and keep mm-hmm. keep those for reference. Clean things up afterwards. Uh, but what this what this truly means, I think, is really hard to understand until you've made a lot of mistakes and trapped yourself a bunch of times. Yes, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's mostly
0: about every time something is hard. Uh, for reasons that don't have to do with the thing itself, right? Um, every every single time that happens, you must step back and ask, is there a thing I could do either now or moving forward to make this thing not hard? Like it's, it's, no matter what mm-hmm. the discipline is, whether it's doing the art, what, no matter what kind of art, whether it's programming, whether it's anything, that is the way that this works is that you fuck it up once. And you rec- – like the key is recognizing that something was it was hard. And when I say fuck mm-hmm. it up, I don't mean you made a mistake. I mean something was hard, right? Or you made a mistake. Either way. Uh, so something is fucked and you ask, why? <laughs> what could I do mm-hmm. to, to – I mean, I've even been dealing with this. I've been trying to get back into Todoist to to doist get to get my house chores dealt with because I – my systems for managing my work just are not compatible with my systems for managing my normal life, you know? And what that's mostly meant is I've just fallen off of the horse over and over and over. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm just a bleeding <laughs> pulpy mess of horse damage mm-hmm. uh, from not being able to maintain
2: my, my life outside of work. Horse, horse so, damage is super critical against Adam. Yeah, okay. yep. got,
1: yeah,
0: exactly. So <laughs> I got, I got. Uh, uh, so I've been trying to get back on to do this, and and but but part of it is actually discovering like what about using this? Like what makes me not do this, right? Mm-hmm. And and trying to recognize each time that that happens. So it, it's just it's even stuff like. Uh, I've, I've discovered that if you have a recurring item and it's got subtasks and you only do one of those tasks and the next day now it says, oh, this is overdue. Here's the rest of your tasks, right? So let's say that that task was clean each of the three litter boxes in my house, right? Well, then now tomorrow it's just like, oh, you only need to clean these two. It's like, no, I still need to clean all fucking three of them every day. It's just that I like forgot or missed one or whatever mm-hmm. the done yeah. before. And so it's like discovering that that means you need to break these things out into individual tasks and I can't yeah. have subtasks, yep. right? And then things like when I was trying to just to do chores on Saturday and I was in the kitchen and I was like, okay, what can I do in here? And they're like looking through my list of to do items. I'm like, which one of these can I do? It's like, Oh, I need to actually organize, have a way to search these by room. I need a mm-hmm. tag for the kitchen. You know, it's like, it's that kind of stuff. Every time a thing is just hard, just ask yourself, does it, does it have to be? What does it have to be?
2: I had that with uh, so I've been actually posting on Instagram, um, It's annoying as hell doing that from – because you can only do – you can only post from a phone. Yeah. Do I do my fucking artwork on a phone? No, I don't, which means that I would have to export things, find the files, put them in a Dropbox, upload them through my phone, type stuff on a phone. Can't copy and paste shit like without doing a bunch of difficult, you know, weird touch maneuvers on a phone. So there's a program called BlueStacks, which just runs – it's an Android emulator. So it's Android OS that just runs on your fucking computer. So – I do everything from my comp- – <laughs> I post to Instagram from my computer, right? And it pulls up. It looks like so a you, So phone. you're running
0: an emulated Android so that you can properly use Instagram from a computer? Yeah, because
2: that way That's I awesome. can go over – I have my hashtags or whatever the you – know, those shits. I, I was about those, to say – copy paste
1: those over. I was about to say why would they do that, but I know exactly why they would do that. Because when you're on your phone, you're not trying to produce or do anything useful. You're just trying to consume content. Yeah. Right. So like they so want they, they want you, you to into pick your phone back up. They yeah. want you to they want to get you into content like endless scrolling mode. Uh mm-hmm. so it makes more money they'll money that only way. let you Yeah,
2: it makes more money that way. Yeah, my wife came up though and she saw me because I was getting my stuff ready and she's been on Instagram for a long time, building all her stuff, and she's like, What are you doing? And I was like, Post <laughs> on Instagram. She's like, You do it from your computer? And I was like, yeah, I mean this is a pain in the ass. She was like, "It is." I was like, "Yeah,
0: <laughs> enjoy the party." Yeah, it's, it is, it's like it's the thing. It's the, the first step is just under is like is truly like uh, recognizing that a thing is a pain in the ass, and then and then that it doesn't need to be ever because there's there's always yep. a fucking thing you can do. I think it would be very cool actually once we get the the art pipeline uh, figured out because uh, Sam is still experimenting. Cause we're using Clip Studio Paint and. Stuff like yeah. but there's already some really cool, clever stuff that we're doing that makes sense for, particularly for working with game maker, but presumably for games in general. Uh, for using like like Sam's using animations as a way to 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 have sprite sub images that aren't truly animations in a in a meaningful right. sense, mm-hmm. uh, and also organizing them in such a way that you can now have multiple of them in a single file basically lined up as if they are sequences of animations happening
2: which yep. is so I, I can hit play and i watch all 20 grass tiles stream by
0: yeah it's kind of nice <laughs> which, which and that's cool but also what the end effect of that is is that that allows an automated export a batch export mm-hmm. that puts things into a predictable organizational structure that we can then use to pull into the game um and so, there's, so it's basically, there's, there's, some, there's some cool stuff happening here that I think uh, it'd be fun to put some videos together on. And then, and then Sam, yeah, just, for like talking about how you, because like, you're watching Sam like organize the layers and, like, and trying to figure out how to manage the actual content of, a, of an art asset is, is really interesting. And it's something that I know Sam is like just actively, rapidly experimenting with since it's mm-hmm. all new. Um, but it would be very cool at some point to sit down and put some videos together about how, how we do all of this stuff.
2: Oh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, we got time for one more question, you guys. This is a big one. So, are you ready? ready? This comes from Rampa, who says, You only covered no shaking hands while greeting someone. What about saying goodbye? Shaking hands is my number one go-to way to end a conversation. Now I'm stuck in conversations going, All right, well, okay, yeah, Mm-hmm. Oh, see, right. So you get to yeah. – you, to, you <laughs>
0: end it by being like, oh, and then like you put your hand out because it's it, – it, somehow the physical signal is less uncomfortable than the – It is. Body –
1: yeah, it's easier to use body language to convey, I'm done now. Okay, uh, try the
0: body language of cartoons where you, you just turn around and leave. Like, <laughs> if, you, if you watch like – if you watch, like, <laughs> I, I noticed this in particular in uh, in Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, there was at some point, I don't know, like a season in. All of a sudden, I noticed this: that when when a
2: character was done talking to another character, they would just turn around and leave. And that this was, happens in drama too. So, in any movie, you'll see people, yeah. yeah, people walk. It's almost like people are coming in to give speeches and then they just leave. But then they just leave. But that's how most of these relationships. That's work, also yeah.
1: how they end phone calls. Someone would be like, "Yeah, hey, they can just you, hang can up. Can you pick up? Yeah, can you pick up dinner?" And the person's like, "Yeah, sure." And then they just hang up yeah Yeah. (laughs) no human does this but Mm man i mean but think about this like think about being on the receiving end of this and and if we all just accepted that this is this is not insulting it just it just means the conversation's done now and this is how you do it in uh, like text messages or something right like if somebody's texting you and you respond for a while then at some point you just stop responding Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, like you just you just like put the phone down or go do something else and the conversation is pretty much done now, um, and that's it. So like why why is it that you can't just stop?
2: Yeah, you know, I just love the idea of having a, having a chat with someone and then just uh, just leaving. Yeah. Like because <laughs> I think the thing is while someone's pointing their body at you, it's like a it's like a tractor beam. You know, like you can't you're not supposed to just just like just turn around. I mean, mean, it is
0: interesting that we have this whole, there's like a, there's a gradual wind up and then a gradual wind down for, for as part of conversational niceties. Right. And like, I wonder what it is that makes that a requirement, you know, like, is there, is that just a thing that has been established over time? and so that's what, that's what we do. Or is there like a, is there something about that that makes it just work better?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know, but I mean, I, I think, because I actually had this scenario uh, where I was, I was actually chatting with some of my neighbors yesterday oh, yeah. um, where I was, I was out walking the dog bumped into some, some neighbors. So we, of course, nowadays you like chat from 20 feet away, which is even weirder, but uh, but it's easier but, to turn around to be honest and just leave. Yeah. But uh, so we're, we're chatting for, for a few minutes and at a certain point I was just like, all right, I'm going inside. See ya. Yep. And then I just went inside <laughs> <laughs> Uh and, and they're like, "Oh, yep, no problem. Have a good one." You know, and and that was that. Um, I, I think the problem is if you if you because it's totally easy to do it tactfully by just saying, "I'm gonna go do something else now." Uh, yeah. If you're at a party and you're like, all right, "I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go chat up some other folks." It was good talking to you. Like that's, that's all you're, true. that's all you have to say. Uh, if you're gonna leave, just be like, right, "I'm gonna leave now." It was yeah. great. It was mm-hmm. great talking to you. Yeah, as long as you end it with a compliment or something, I feel like it's fine. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's That's okay. I think <laughs> that part,
0: like it was, nice, it was nice chatting, right? Like, cause that's the same thing as that handshake that you're going in for. And
1: like, also you've, you've already like, you've put it in past tense now. You're like, well, it was great talking to you. Yeah. it was. done. Yeah, we're done. It's not going to be great anymore because it's over now. So <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. Like, but, <laughs> but it, is the, it is
0: the case though that. It, it feels like there has to be a reason, right. Where, where you can't just say it was, it was nice talking to you. And then like, leave. I mean, you can, like, you definitely can do that. Right. But you always feel like you have to then explain, like, here is the reason why I'm done talking to yeah, you. I, mean, right the, now.
1: The, I I know it feels like that, but I don't think I don't think it is because, like, honestly, if you just if you were chatting with somebody and then you just say, "All right, well, it was great talking to you." Yeah, and, and honestly, you,
2: that's, that's a super good exit line. Yeah,
1: because uh, yeah. what you've done is you've you've framed the conversation in the past tense, which means you're announcing that it's over, but you're ending it with a nice compliment, being like, "I had a great time." Yeah, you because know. you you can't say.
2: We're done talking now, and then and have that be.
1: <laughs> you can't positive. just suddenly go, bye, and then.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, Which, so I, th- oh, I think that's a good method. Yeah.
1: I would love it. I would love it if if we were all comfortable. Because, uh, I mean, what is it? Is it an ego thing? Is it like, yeah? You, no, know, it's like, just, you, you it's feel well. It, it is kind of like because you feel. Insult it. You know? well, yeah, it's not. If but you, I think you're I think to somebody. It's, it's not an ego just,
2: thing. You're just trying to read the root, You know, if someone's just like, "We're done talking now," and then uh, leaves. Uh, well, I think it's, it's always that can mean a lot. You, of you want things. people to like you,
0: and Correct. you want them to not think that you don't like them, right? Correct. Yeah. That's and that's well, basically right. that's the thing we're trying to all manage. At this, we're all trying to the, the reason that we have all these niceties is because we're all just paranoid constantly that people around us don't like us right mm-hmm. that's why this all so because yeah it is the case if you just want to go talk to somebody or even if you don't like for me like i don't like i don't i don't like being in social situations and the bigger they get the more i hate them right and so when i'm talking mm-hmm. to somebody like i don't really want to in in that context like i don't, I don't really want to be there period so it's not even about that person <laughs> at all right <laughs>
1: I just it's want about to get you. out of there.
0: It's about it's <laughs> like I just want to leave, and so the moment that I can, I'm gonna, I want to be like, okay, I want to take off, right? But I don't want that person to think like, I, d- I don't want to talk to you. But that, that's what I'm
1: saying, though. It's it is about ego because because if you just say like, all right, bye, and then you leave, the person is thinking, what have I done? This yeah, is exactly. about this is about me. Like, what have? I, what does this person think about me? They insulted me. Do they not like me?
2: So much as it is just uh, it's
1: just social management. Like, no, I, social- I'm just I'm just saying I'm saying I'm not saying that the person has an inflated ego or anything like that. I'm just saying that that it's hard not to think of it being about yourself. If if you're talking to somebody oh, yeah. and they just oh, yeah. suddenly well, go what uh, like, one conversation, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're talking to somebody and they just suddenly go Bite, Bye. And then they walk off. Uh, then you're <laughs> thinking, you're, then now suddenly all you can think about is yourself and like how that person views you, what they think about you. What did what I? You, do? What you said was wrong. And you don't think like maybe, maybe we just had a great conversation and that person just doesn't want to.
2: Well, be so I think, yes, yeah, so I think that's, that's, where right. the, <laughs> that's where the solution of just saying, it was great talking to you. I'll see you later.
1: Man. Right. Yeah, yeah, the, so the weird have
2: part to is
0: when you do that and you're in a larger So I think like every time I'm at GDC and we go to like those evening events or like when there are a lot of people around. I'm talking to one person and really mm-hmm. I want to be not, not talking to anybody, right?
1: But you just want to be standing in the side of the room.
0: I mean ideally I would be chilling. leaving or just like having a drink by right <laughs> myself, right? But <laughs> but uh, but like where I'm still stuck there, right? So now I've had I've had a conversation yeah. with somebody and I'm like, okay. So now like I want to I want to end this conversation so I can just like not be doing this at all right but I don't get to leave the event yet because I still like really should be talking to some other people right which means getting over that anxiety of like making that you know putting the hand out on the beginning of the conversation right uh and so now like you you extricate yourself from one conversation and then you keep on seeing that person you were just talking to while you're not like talking to anybody else right uh it's like to me that's where like from from my own level of like social discomfort like this is where it's at maximum is when I want to end one conversation Mm. In a room with lots of people, and I don't want to start another one, right? But probably should. But then, but they haven't oh. yet. So now it's like There's I just I just said like I don't want to talk to you. Or not? This, I didn't say that. But I was like nice talking to you. The implication being I'm gonna go do something or talk to somebody else, right? And then if an I'm idiot. just standing there, yeah, yeah, that's that, the hard part. That feels it like is I have part. done something wrong. You know, mm-hmm.
1: you've got a you got you got two options. One is you immediately go just start chatting up another person, which as you noted know, is challenging. The other is you just go go away for a while. <laughs> yeah. Go outside, go for a short walk, go yeah, to the But bathroom, you definitely I I yeah,
0: I don't know if you guys feel feel this too, but like but it, every time I've talked to somebody even at the, like, the beginning of a night and then talked to a bunch of other people or whatever. And if every time I walk by them from from that point forward, I, it's always like I don't know
1: what to <laughs> I'm like, I'm I'm done with, 'cause I'm done with this,
0: right? We've we've already talked. I'm, I'm finished with that part of the process. Well, Adam, no no.
1: This is where the knowing glance comes in. Yep.
0: You know? You're like give him a nod. Give him a nod I mean, that's like, what I we've do. shared
1: a yeah, we've yeah. shared a bond. I mean I you do know? that.
0: But, like, but every time I walk by and they don't re-engage. It feels like I'm making an active decision that implies something, right? Mm-hmm. Which which is uh, true, right? Because I'm not the fact that I'm not reengaging with that person is because I'm trying to reengage with other people, or no one, or whatever, right? So, like, there's a truth there, but it's not mm-hmm. a bad thing
2: necessarily. It reminds me when I was at uh, Dice in February before the pandemic hit. It's basically the last conference you could go to. So, I was at Dice, yeah. and they had this, they had like an evening cocktail hour thing, or whatever. And it's in this room, and just, there's probably like sixty or seventy people in there. And the thing is, I for whatever reason I didn't know didn't know anyone. Uh, despite all the time that we spent uh, at these events for – on this first day who was there. And so that's brutal because you can't be in a conversation and then end up talking to two people. So the first one who you know and then the other people who you just don't know, which is like the easiest way to start getting – like networked into a little group, a party. So I remember like, – and every so often I have this – since I do most of the, the business networking stuff for us, every so often it does hit me really fucking hard where I'm like, I wish someone. Was just chalk to me instead of me having. I did, I did laps around this like little art exhibit thing. Did like probably four laps or so before I finally like got into a conversation with someone. And the whole time, Adam, like you said, I'm just moseying around. There's not even yeah. anything to do. I'm just fucking walking in circles. Yeah, so, and I'm I like, feel so fucking. Under- but the thing I is, everyone is it. so self conscious that I was like, no one. I notices. know everyone's
0: also doing, it, but it is, it is true though. Like I. I, I I very rarely am approached by somebody else to chat in those contexts. It's always like, I, I have to do it if it's going to happen. Correct. And, yep. and Which is then part of also that that, that anxiety in your own side. You're like, does nobody want to talk to me? Right? Which of yeah, course the 100%. answer is, like they don't know who the fuck you are. And yep. if they do, the likelihood, there are far fewer people who are like extroverts who want to just go grab your hand and start talking, right? Than there are people who are a yes. little uncomfortable in that situation, at least a, a bit, right?
1: So I think there's a solution to this. Which which covers all bases. Okay, you go into a social situation. You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking like, how do I get people to talk to me? How do I how do I engage with people? How can I get into this group so that they'll commute like so I can meet people? What if you come into it with a different mission, which is like, how do I get as many people to talk to each other as possible? Mm -hmm. Okay. So then, now it's no longer about you. Now you've suddenly reframed the problem, big brain quarter. Okay, you've reframed the problem, and you're thinking now like, I'm gonna go just like just start chatting with people, not because I care what they think about me or any of that stuff. I just want to get to know some stuff about them, and then quickly go and like chat with some other folks and see if I can like bring people together.
2: Oh yeah, no, this is. I mean, this is actually how people in. Yeah, this is basically how I get through those things because you you have to reorient. And and then be be the person who's like I'm going to go make people comfortable. That's like that's my job here. That's my tell.
1: goal.
2: Yeah. I can tell everybody who's just standing there, holding a drink, looking like a weirdo, because they got no one to talk to you yet. Like, just go talk to them. They're not comfortable right now. And like, if I go say, Hey, tell me what you do, then they'll light up and then be able to talk about stuff. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Or they'll right. be a that's weirdo, good.
0: and you got to extricate yourself from that situation.
2: You know? And you're just like,
1: Hey, just
0: uh, it's good it, talking to you.
1: It. You know, it was. It was weird talking, to you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but we did it. You know, we, we're here we now. Did it. Let's not do we, it again.
1: Uh, <laughs> we got through it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that covers it. Uh, so, I hope that was, you know, something medium helpful. Also,
0: anybody listening, if you're if you've been curious what the weird percussive noises are, we've got we've got roofers on our roof doing something. I actually haven't heard anything. From Have you not mind? heard anything? Because no? I, I can see it on my little. I'm a little. Uh, what do you call it? The little little squiggly bumps. You know, the mm-hmm. squiggly bumps yep, from your audio yep, recording. Yep, 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 um, oh yeah, I can see it in there, but it is
1: quieter than my voice. So hopefully, <laughs> I think it's fine. Yeah, you're good. It's not you're too annoying. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'd like to thank our for, our producers, Fat Bard and Jed Costa, for putting the podcast together, and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net. We have links to everything you could ever want out of life, so just go there, click every link. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.